The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Kevin Melnor of Vital Essentials, which makes purely raw and essentially healthy items for dogs and cats, which we'll learn a little bit more later in the show. But before we dig into Vital Essentials, we want to learn a little bit more about our, our, our guest, his background, what makes him tick, etc. Let me tell you a little bit more about Kevin. Kevin is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater, whose notable alumni include not only our guest today, but Major League pitcher Bob Wickman, who spent some time here with the Cleveland Indians, I might add, and quite possibly the most famous graduate, good or bad, John Belushi. Kevin has a history of success at a number of consumer product companies that I really want to dig into, whether that be his time at Schwab North America, Bird's Eye Foods, and even Fort Howard. This is going to be fun. Kevin has a ton of experience from the sales and marketing aspect from some of the largest companies in the world. Kevin Malnor, welcome to the show. Good morning, David. So were you aware that John Belushi was that famous graduate of the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater? I actually was not, but I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your there's your tip for the day. How about that? So let's dig in here. We have plenty of time to talk about Vital Essentials and how that company is making its mark in the pet space, uh, the ever-expanding and innovative pet space, I might add. But let's go back earlier in your career. I believe there's some real nuggets that we can mine and our listeners can really see how the stops along the way made you into who you are. So Let's let's talk about the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. Tell us about that. Were you were you born and raised in that area? Was there something about that in particular that that drew you there? Was it just like a lot of us that just needed to go and get that white piece of paper? Tell us about your time in college. Well, I grew up in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area, and yep. uh, I had a my my father was in in the sales world for General Electric yep. for a lot of years, and. Sure. Uh, that was really something I wanted to pursue, and as I looked at the Wisconsin uh, State Colleges, UW-Whitewater uh, was the strongest small school uh, with the business degrees, so I decided to go there. really wasn't looking for the, uh, the large experience that UW-Wisconsin offers. You know, it's it's interesting. So many of us look at, um, you know, I, I can I can definitely tell that my background, same, um, looking at where I wanted to go in college, you know, and, and it ties back to that business aspect. And, and um, you know, it's just it's just interesting. I mean, I don't I don't hear a lot of people saying that they want to uh, pursue the business career and, and go to, you know, UC Berkeley or something like that. It's 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 kind of like we kind of stay right around where we're at. And I did I did something very similar. So. Um, and I take it you're a Green Bay Packers fan? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, not to be one. Uh, I actually, I'll tell you a little story if I could. I, I got on the uh, season ticket waiting list when I graduated from high school back in <laughs> 1968, or I'm sorry, 1978. There and 35 years later, I got my uh, season tickets. So, yeah, huge fan. Well, it's it's interesting. We uh, I'll I'll also share a story. One of my um, one of my buddies here in Cleveland, um, whose son went to St. Ignatius, pretty big powerhouse here in Cleveland, went to Michigan. He is now one of your starting um, linebackers in Jake Ryan, and oh, nice. um, 
Yeah, Jake is definitely coming on. He was definitely starting as he got into the um, into the playoffs last year towards the tail end of the year. And I think what kept him from, from going, he was drafted, I believe, in the fourth round by Green Bay. What kept him from going higher is he had an ACL issue, I think, his junior year at Michigan. But He's going to he's going to do quite well for you guys. I mean it's just I mean he's going to really, you know, you you guys have it have it going on and he fits in perfectly with that whole kind of Green Bay area. You're not going to hear about him getting into trouble and that kind of stuff. He's going to be a solid citizen. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's he did a great job. So looking forward to seeing him play this year. Well, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of people that are, you know, I, I think um, the Packers have reloaded and retooled, and I think they're going to be a, a definite force here going forward. That's my take. Well, I hope you're right, David. <laughs> How about baseball? How about baseball? Who do you follow? I try to follow the Brewers, but it's it's a little challenging. Uh, they've been struggling for a number of years, and... Uh, so I, I try to get down to a game or two a year. It's about a couple-hour drive down to the uh, Miller Park. Yeah, we've, um, you know, I'll tell you, it, the Cleveland is no different. Um, it's tough to follow, although they're holding their own this year. But, um, they, the, you know, the mid-markets like uh, Milwaukee and, uh, and and like Cleveland, I mean, they just don't have the deep pockets to, um, you know, they can pay their, their top-line guys, but the real – um, I think the real what what separates the really good teams, the ones that can go deep in the playoffs, are having those second and third string guys that you can plug in when somebody gets hurt. And at least the Cleveland Indians, they don't pay that kind of money to be, to be able to have a strong bench. So if somebody gets right. hurt, you know, yeah, the Brewers are pretty much in the same situation. It would be nice if professional baseball would look at the salary cap model that the NFL has incorporated, which has really brought parity to the league but it's also made a lot more fun for uh more fans well it's and it's it's so interesting you brought that up because i've always thought the same thing but what's interesting at the at the heart of all this like we try to tell our high school kids it's always about money um and baseball would have to kind of like um really forego which would mean um you know the big the big players in new york and chicago and la would have to do something that's that would maybe uh, take a few bucks out of their pocket initially um, to make the um, overall team stronger. But, you know, when you're dealing with greed and some of these guys that are multi-billionaires, they didn't get there by being nice guys. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I don't think that's going to happen, but I agree with you 100%. Look at the NFL, and those guys are printing money right now. Right, and, that, and that's really what makes the Packers so unique is, is yep. they're in a small market uh, but the only reason they're still here is because of the fact that they're really owned by the fans and uh, there's no profit to be made by anybody by selling the team. Uh, it's really uh, just about keeping them here and keeping them competitive from, from a financial standpoint. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, and, and, it's, and, that, and the NFL will never go for that again, but it's truly an example of what, that, what is possible. And they just love the Packers there. It's fantastic. So let's chat a little bit about your time um, when you first kind of got out of school. One of the first jobs out of college um, was the Dow Corporation. Soaps, I take it. You were there for five years. Tell us a little bit about your time there at Dial. Well, I started out with Dial as a sales rep, just calling, you know, driving around the state of Wisconsin, uh, pretty much in the, the, the northeastern part of that, but driving around this, the, that part of the state calling on grocery stores. At that time, sure. most of them were independent. So uh, just knocking on the door and and getting out my, you know, my pitch book and, and talking to them about all the great products Dial had and try to get placement and promotion and and grow the sales within that that area. So I spent uh, a couple of years doing that, and then I had an opportunity to start managing the larger accounts in the Midwest. Uh, there was a Kroger division and some of the super values of the world, things like that, and did that for a while. And then I also then was given an opportunity to get into the uh, hiring and training of new sales reps and assisting a region manager, sort of starting to get into the kind of the, the people management aspect of things. So uh, it was a fun experience. Uh, you know, I was a little intimidated when I came in, but, you know, one of the things I learned quickly was the importance of hard work. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, expertise. You know, I had my college degree, but other than that, uh, but I worked harder than most and uh, was very successful based on the hard work. 
You know, it's it's interesting. There's there's again, there's lessons for all of us to be learned here. Um, and I always go back to our our teenage kids, and it's one of those things because I remember I would imagine that was obviously pre-internet days and those kind of things. So it was, you know, you drove, <laughs> yes. as, as, yeah. So you drove as far as the tank of gas would take you to those retailers and stuff, and and you really had to kind of um, go out there and make your own way. Um, and and that's the tough thing, especially for a young kid out of college. Um, I can only imagine you've had those um, the grumblings of the old uh, stodgy guys that have been there for twenty five years, going, "Oh, let the let the young kid go out there. Hey, he's not gonna, you know." But the hard work is the is the core of all this, and I think that separates, uh, if you will, the men from the boys. Yeah, you 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 made me laugh because I thought about innovation back in those days was a uh, drive up payphone where it had a really long cord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember driving around with a roll of quarters, and I would I would just drive up there, and and it was always frustrating because if you didn't get there early enough, and some of the the really good gas stations had a uh, walk in bathroom, so you know you could use the bathroom, and had the drive up phone, so you could sit there for twenty five thirty minutes and make your calls, and then hopefully right. if somebody answers the phone, you can go and see them. Um, but my have times have changed, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and one of the other things I wanted to point out is, is I did learn the importance of packaging way back then. And, and uh, the example was we liquid laundry detergents were just coming yep. to the market, and yep. a number of the larger brands had launched, and, and our marketing group launched a Purex liquid laundry detergent, and they wanted to be unique and different. And they were. They created a clear bottle, uh, but unfortunately they created a – a profile in the bottle that didn't fit at retail. So they never bothered to go out to the retail environment and make sure that package would execute well there. So uh, in essence, our 64-ounce liquid detergent got pushed down to the bottom shelf because it would only fit with the gallons of our competitors. Uh, and it had to be completely redone. And, and being a packaging expert, I'm sure you can appreciate the cost of You know what? And I, and I totally, not only that, but I, can, I appreciate the struggle of going up against the grain, um, even then, back in those days. And, you know, it's so tough because and packaging is one of those things, as we all know, um, consumers buy with their eyes. And, and it's one of those things. And, and companies talk a great game, and I'm not negating what you're saying by any stretch, um, companies talk a great game as far as, hey, we want innovation, we want to be different, but then you've got the complete polar opposite side at the same company often that goes, oh, no, we can't um, really mess things up for the retailers because they'll put us on the bottom shelf, like you're explaining. So it really right. takes that kind of whole entire company to really shepherd those things. And I just think of Dial and now to the the more modern method soap, if you will, who's gone out there and revolutionized how they do things in their flexible packaging and spouted pouches versus the heavy rigid plastic and um, you know it, it, it innovation's really got to be a company wide sort of thing and um, it, it's a good lesson for all of us that you know everyone talks a great game often, but it's it, it, and, and there is power in the packaging, but boy, if everyone doesn't buy in on it. You're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money going nowhere. You know what I mean? Right, right. So before we go to a quick break, I want to kind of tie in um, your time at Fort Howard. Um, you know, that's the big global paper powerhouse. Tell us about Fort Howard and, and, and what you did there. Yeah, well, I got an opportunity to come back home to Green Bay. I'd moved away for a while and uh, and come on board as what they call the private label product manager. So I was, a, I was selling private label uh, products. To, uh, the large retailers across the country, grocery retailers and wholesalers, right. and uh, managing all the different aspects of a private label brand. So that included the packaging, the, the size, all sorts of things. So uh, it was kind of fun. It was really probably my first step into more of a, a marketing type role where I was getting involved with uh, product development. Was it tough being a young kid? Um, I know you touched on it a little bit about dial, but was it tough being a young kid at that point? You know, you're in you're in a you know a pretty big arena with some pretty big companies. Were you were you really doing some 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 meat and potatoes kind of stuff, Kev, or were you you yeah. know just kind of like okay, good? No, it was it was really what was really interesting to me, David, is that when I got in there, at first it was a little intimidating, but when I got sure. into these larger accounts, I was actually quite surprised at the um, the lack of talent. I guess at some of those levels, I expected, 
and initially I was a little intimidated, but when I started dealing with these people, I realized that uh, they surely weren't rocket scientists, and right. uh, they were much easier to deal with uh, than I thought they would be. And I, I learned early on that I would treat them uh, as if they were a small customer because you really can't negotiate with somebody unless you're willing to walk away. And uh, I think that hurts a lot of sales folks when they're so anxious to close a deal that, uh, and they're not willing to get up and walk away from the table. That's an awesome lesson because, and it's so often, we get about a minute before break, but it's so awesome of a reminder that, um, you know, again, that's old school way of thinking, but it really is effective because you can't, it's got to work both ways. You you can't just give away the farm and then go back and lick your wounds. It's got to be a partnership. And, and that really ties into, you know, kind of, you know, even the bigger picture uh, lessons that people will get from today's show is, you know, cry, trying to create those partnerships with, with companies versus I'm just your supplier. And, and, and I don't care whether you're dealing in the retail world or you're in the pet space. If it's not a partnership, it's just a one-sided transaction, and and it's just you really create nothing of value. Um, but if you have a partnership, that's where everybody benefits, and uh, and you can really build something special. Right. Both parties need to long-term need to to be winning. Otherwise, it it won't work. Kev, we're going to take a quick break, uh, folks. We're going to be back with Kevin Melnor here in a second. Uh, stay tuned. We will be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ditch the Box. We're talking with our friend Kevin Malnor with Vital Essentials. So, Kev, right before we went to the break, we were, we were kind of wrapping up your time at Fort Howard um, and kind of learning about or hearing about some of your, um, uh, I guess you'd say milestones along the way, if you will. But let's kind of get into now when you really started to, to hit your stride. You were courted and, 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 and then hired by Bird's Eye Foods in February of 1998. Tell us about your time there, what you did there, because you started out as a director of product sales, then director of sales, then even a position called the business director of tactical sales, and then back to director of sales. Tell us a little bit about all that, because it sounds like there's a lot going on. There was. That was quite a ride. Uh, but it, it was an exciting opportunity because I, I got an opportunity to come into a, a large CPG company and a right. trade marketing role. So I came on board and was managing the trade funds that we were spending with retailers uh, for the Bird's Eye brand. And uh, that was my focus, and uh, that would include uh, kind of the dirty word slotting. I don't know if you've heard right. of that, but the, oh, yeah. the cost of placing items in right. certain retailers, uh, and that could be quite expensive. And uh, it was also taking the uh, marketing team and, and translating uh, their uh, communications into a sales-friendly uh, way out to the field sales team. As you know, sometimes marketing folks uh, don't communicate well with the sales team, and I was kind of that <laughs> interface between the group. <laughs> well put, well put, nice. Uh, so that was fun, and then uh, I did have a chance to uh, manage the uh, Midwest region. We had a number of different uh, region sales managers, and then uh, we really managed uh, then a broker network 
across the Midwest uh, and driving, you know, the Bird's Eye brand. We had a whole bunch of different brands. And uh, as we reorganized a little bit, there was a, uh, there were a couple of lead marketing positions that were created. One was the business director for Bird's Eye uh, brand, and then one was the business director for tactical brands. And those tactical brands were uh, all the other brands. There were some national and, and regional brands like Vegol and Fresh Like and Wilderness and Comstock Pie Filling and Nally's uh, brands up in the Northwest and a number of different things. And and it really was kind of a tough role. And, and I wasn't really actually looking for that role at the time, but right. uh, the person they had put into that when they created it couldn't quite handle it and given the the sales background I had and the uh the marketing experience I'd gained they uh they asked me if I would step into that role and as challenging as it, I knew it would be because uh, I was kind of the B team right you can imagine the birds I ran oh, yeah. was the A team oh, yeah. and I was the B team and yep. they had turnover issues and all sorts of things and uh we actually under my my tenure there we outperformed the A team and I was I was pretty proud of that so we we had a lot of fun, and we partnered with a lot of different retailers uh, to drive our brand through some consumer marketing as well as trade-driven type programs. So to be to be clear, you were this tactical stuff was the was the non kind of like bird's eye products that 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 you you wouldn't hear about unless you were in certain regions. Is that is that a fair statement? Correct. And you were were you traveling a bunch at that time? Were you going up to the Northwest? Were you handling that stuff over the phone? Tell us a little bit about that because that still was, you know, again, the Internet was around, but it really wasn't as prevalent as it is today. I was kind of curious to see how you were covering those areas and how you were going, going, going about those motions. Uh, well, there, you know, there was a fair amount of travel as well as, as phone calls, but you're right. I mean, it really was not a – there was not an email opportunity. I mean, we did – uh, some programs with uh, the Big Ten. You know, you yep. mentioned Michigan before, and we were yep. able to, uh, to to create a program. And so we would try to find uh, uh, things or partners that the retailers would get excited about, certainly in the Midwest. Uh, people get excited about the Big Ten or anywhere where there is a Big Ten university. Yep. Yep. Uh, and when we could do that, uh, we go out, meet with them, uh, partner with somebody, and then create in-store merchandising activities where in the Big Ten opportunity that people could win tickets, uh, you know, uh, gear, their, you know, sweatshirts, T-shirts, uh, all sorts of things that uh, they could show their fan loyalty to their favorite team. Uh, but definitely involved a lot of travel, a lot of face-to-face, and, uh, and, and again, working with the sales team, and, and that certainly was something I was, I'd, I'd come from there so I could uh, relate to those folks as well. You had mentioned a few things there when we were chatting, um, you know, slotting and even a broker network. I'm going to kind of dig into slotting a little bit. Um, you know, that that in and of itself, because I know that some of the big major players, I don't think Walmart um, charges slotting fees or Costco, but you're talking about your your Kroger's, your, you know, um, value, uh, uh, whatever it may be, Ralph's or whatever it is. But um, do, But slotting is still very prevalent today. Is that a fair statement? That is my understanding. Uh, well, it's still prevalent. I don't know, uh, given my responsibility, you know, over the last 10 years, I haven't had to do anything on a national basis. Back when I was at Bird's Eye Foods, the cost to slot an item into those grocery retailers that uh, we did business with at Publish, so what the, on their published rate card or their menu right. pricing, right. that was $2 million for one item to place Good. it across Great. the country. Uh, and and certainly we negotiated that down, but that was the published rate, and it was essentially you know you're paying for the opportunity to to get on the shelf, and uh, I think we the manufacturers helped drive that because if we came out with a proposition that wasn't all that great, we would offer more money to get it on the on the shelf, and just uh, you know so we were I think somewhat accountable for that situation as well. Yeah, it's just, and again, it's one of those things that unless people really understand how the retail world works, it's it, it really kind of can um, um, catch you by surprise, the slotting and the slotting fees. And I'm not saying right or wrong uh, or good or bad. It is what it is. Um, but it, it's it's one of those things that people aren't prepared. And again, we deal with a lot of companies, and I know you're very familiar with this, 
um, you know, these newer companies, these, these upstarts, these uh, mom and pops even that aren't prepared for the slotting fees and they aren't prepared what it takes to get their product on a store shelf. And um, pretty soon they've, they've spent their, you know, life savings to um, play the game, if you will, in quotation marks. And um, if it doesn't work, you're, you're screwed. It's just a, it's a tough way of doing business. Yeah, it really is hard to break into that channel, and I, I think that's why you're seeing brands, uh, you know, maybe coming out on the internet or finding alternate yep. channels where the the cost of entry isn't isn't so high. Well, and that's and that kind of ties right into my next kind of question and statement about the broker network. Um, you know, we've we've been fortunate to deal with brokers over the years, but I also know that's kind of a a dying. I don't want to say dying, but that's changing. Um, the broker networks and, and, you know, some of the old line guys that have had, um, you know, a series of products in their back pocket and they just kind of drive around like the milk route, if you will. Um, but that's changing and that's the, the industry's changing right before our eyes. Any, any comment thoughts on the, on the whole broker network? Cause that's, you were a young guy when you're dealing with a lot of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I followed it through, there was uh, a lot of consolidation, right? When I yeah. first started dealing with brokers, they tended to be, uh, in a specific market or a specific region. Right. And then uh, they started to buy up one another. And, uh, you know, there's a few national brokers. And and when you've got a broker that works the whole country, unless you're a large national brand, I always looked at if I'm not in the top 10 of brands within a broker office, I'm not going to get a whole lot of support. Right. And so a lot of those smaller market and customer-specific brokers went away. Uh, but there's been a resurgence of those. Those that are, are good in a particular market or a particular customer are doing well because there's manufacturers that are looking for that uh, that support that they just can't get from a national broker. They They won't get the time and attention. And again, a great lesson for a lot of us because there is a time and place. Um, if you and if you have the right broker, he can definitely open doors and help you close deals. Uh, but if you're one of a million people out there in this guy's network, if you will, you're good luck with that, right? Right, exactly. So you went on for a brief stop at Northland Cranberries. Tell us about that, and then we're going to kind of get into Schwab North America. So tell us about Northland. Yeah, I, I had, had uh, unfortunately, as, as consolidations and relocations things go, I was downsized out of yep. Bird's Eye Foods. They wanted me to move to Rochester, New York, and I chose not to move the family. So I was able to hook on with a fairly local company out of Wisconsin Rapids called Northland Cranberries. When sure. I started there, they were up for sale. Uh, so I was there really as kind of a stepping stone. I was a region manager, oversaw the broker network in the Midwest for about a year, and then uh, had an opportunity to to move on to uh, to Schwab in North America. You know, it's it's interesting, and I'm just going to kind of jump in here. And, and I know I know you well enough that you wouldn't say it, but there's a perseverance that happens with a lot of uh, a lot of folks like yourself who have been very successful. And a lot of times, people see the end result and say, "Hey, well, Kevin's really made it, if you will." Um, but there's that perseverance because you do have, and we all have those bumps along the way and being downsized and going through changes and, and, and things that are messed up or mess us up, if you will. Um, but again, at the end of the day, there's those life lessons of saying just, hey, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, go to a Northland and, and no, I'm not moving the family to Rochester, New York, and, and I'll make it either way. And, and props to you for just kind of keep plugging. I mean, that's how we all get there where we want to be. You know what I mean? Right. Thank you. Yeah, it's not, it's not what, I guess it's not what happens to us, but it's how we react to and exactly. handle what happens to us. And, and you know, there's, life throws us these curveballs, and, and so many people, um, even young people, uh, again, back to the teenage world um, that I'm dealing with, when you've got the, you know, oh, can you believe this happened or that happened? Yeah, it stinks. I'm really sorry, but pick yourself up and keep going because if you're looking for, you know, a, a freebie or a handout or um, some pass, no, this is life and life happens and companies go out of business and, and you lose jobs and you've got to pick yourself up and keep going. Right. Most of the job, most of the job transitions I've had have been due to mergers, acquisitions, things like that. I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I get pretty focused and 
uh, enjoy what I do, and, and uh, most of my transitions have been the cause of those type of uh, things. But you're right. It's just you, uh, and I've always find myself eventually in a, in a better place. And that's the way you just persevere, just persevere. So let's, you spent a, a real good chunk of time with Schwaba North America. Tell us about that, because it was a little bit of a different um, kind of angle here. Now you're in the health and wellness space, vitamin supplements. You know, what took you to Schwaba and, and then, um, you know, kind of how was that different and how, you know, how was the health and wellness space different from what you were used to back in the old days of bird's eye and Northland, et cetera? Right. So as, as fate would have it, the uh, one of the persons I worked <laughs> Uh, people I worked with at Bird's Eye Foods as we were starting to move things into Rochester, New York, had gone over to uh, Schwab North America into this uh, into a trade marketing type role, and he was really a classic consumer marketer and wasn't a good fit. And uh, but the company wanted to keep him, so they they created a different role for him and asked him if he knew anybody that might fit this trade marketing kind of sales support role. And he gave the CEO my name, and uh, he called me up and. Uh, the next day we had coffee, and the next week he made me an offer uh, to join the team. Uh, so it happened quite quickly, uh, and uh, and and was uh, I was fortunate that the opportunity came my way because it was it was really kind of a neat place to be, and and that's why I was there as long as I was. It was because you know prior to that I had done uh, sold products that were important to the consumers, but whether they you know the mom was feeding bird's eye you know vegetables or green giant vegetables sure didn't really have an impact on the quality of their lives but but the products that uh Schwab and North America markets under the Nature's Way brand is you know definitely we were making a significant difference in the health and wellness of consumers and we'd hear testimonials all the time and so that was probably the most rewarding part of that job was just hearing all the people's lives that uh we really had made a, a huge difference in you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, and I think you just answered my question. I was going to say, you know, a lot of times when I do these interviews, I look for trends or or, or little things that are nuggets that we could grab here. And and one of the things you were mentioning a second ago is as far as the um, feeling good about the fact that Nature's Way and uh, Schwab of North America were making products um, that were making a difference in people's lives. I mean, and and, and that's one of those aha moments, if you will. Um, and which probably really relates to and we'll get to in a little bit with Vital Essentials. But that's one of those things if you can really kind of, you know, connect with something when you're selling a product um, that's going to really make a difference in someone's lives or someone's pet's life, um, for example. I mean, that really, really helps um, from a sales perspective because you really truly believe in the product. Right, Exactly. Was selling any different, you know, because you were used to those, um, the days back in the, you know, the, the bird's eye, if you will, and even Northland. I mean, was was selling in the health and wellness field any any different than the than those old established companies? Uh, well, it it really was. It kind of went back to my, my first days in the grocery industry where I was calling on independent uh, grocery stores here. Uh, you know, I was overseeing the sales team and we had, gosh, about, you know, 30 sales reps, maybe 32, right. and we had a few region managers, and we were out calling on, you know, these small independent health food stores. Uh, we were shipping, you know, I was used to shipping truckloads, and and, uh, and we were shipping minimum orders of $200 directly to a store instead of, you know, a truck going into a distribution center and having it redistributed. So it was really getting to the kind of the core of the, the you know, the grassroots of the health food industry. And it was interesting to see the emotion and the passion that these retailers had uh, for what they did. That's what they were in the business to help people uh, more so than uh, to make a living. Although they certainly were for-profit businesses. Yeah, that's really cool. And again, at the end of the day, it's okay to make money. Um, there's nothing wrong with making money, but when you can right. tie it into really making a difference in someone's life, I mean, that's just that's just the the complete coup de gras, if you will. So let's really get into the meat and potatoes, if you will, about um, our today's show. Uh, we're chatting with a friend once again, Kevin Melnor with Vital Essentials. Um, we really want to dig into why, um, you know, let's learn about Vital Essentials. 
why a raw diet for pets uh, is instinctively healthier, um, how you compete in a very tough and competitive industry, um, as well as dealing with major retailers. So let me tell you a little bit more about Vital Essentials, stated from their perspective, folks, their mission. We believe that every dog and cat in the world deserves access to the finest food available to them, regardless of financial means. We also believe we also provide the most appropriate commercially available food for dogs and cats, period. Therefore, we will continue to spread awareness of how a raw-fed diet can impact pets' lives for the better. It is our mission to educate, create awareness, and ensure that any pet parent has access to their products and information. As advocates of raw, we want others to understand the benefits of feeding pets a raw diet that is purely raw and instinctively healthy. Their passion. We are pet ambassadors, trustees for your pet's well-being, reuniting them with real meat, alpha prey model diets, and guiding them down a long, vibrant path of life that God intended. Long live pets. We smile. When appreciative pet owners call or write and tell us about their pets, they are now frisky and full of life, allergy-free with shiny coats, clean teeth, and fresh breaths. Fresh breath. What moves us most is when pet owners share stories about how their best friend and family member beat the odds of cancer, diabetes, or other serious diseases and are alive and thriving today because of what we do and the food we provide. Leadership philosophy at Vital Essentials. Our leaders are approachable. Roll up your sleeves, can do people. They're pet owners and pet lovers. Their best interest of pets and their well being is paramount in all they do. That commitment is shared by our employees and chosen business associates. Kevin, that's a great place to start. So your mission that I described above is really something you and your team members believe in. This isn't a bunch of words thrown on a website. Elaborate, if you will, about the importance of your mission and vital essentials. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it really drives everything that we do. Uh, you know, sometimes when we get we get asked some pretty uh, challenging things from retailers, uh, we always look back to the mission and, and say, hey, is this does this help or hurt us accomplish that mission? And if, if, it, if it contributes to, to us accomplishing the mission, then we move forward. If it's not, uh, then we will say no. And it, it really, it's the backbone of everything we do. Uh, everybody really here, uh, at least in the office that I deal with every day, are truly pet lovers and have uh, one, if not multiple, uh, cats and dogs. I think it's cool that you mentioned, and again, another another tidbit for folks is have that mission that really means something, not just to the guy who writes the mission because it sounds cute and looks good on a you know a plaque in the um, the the lobby of the of the company, but really making a make it a living, breathing document, and that's what you're saying there, right? Right, right. We share that. Matter of fact, I I had a. Uh a customer in here uh, this week for a plant tour and a meeting, and uh, one of the things they wanted to get to know who we are, and one of the first right. things I shared with them was the mission statement, so they can understand uh, exactly where we're coming from, why we do what we do, and and they were also gracious enough to share their mission statement, and we just talked about how we could work together to help us each achieve our mission statements, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of alignment there, so we had a very a very good meeting. Well, and just like we said earlier on the show, it's about forming those partnerships that actually matter. You know, when they, you know, your customer, potential customer, and um, you guys are sharing notes and realize that there's a synergy there and that it's okay for you to make money and it's okay for them to get great product. But together as a partnership, you can really do something special. And, you know, for for two companies to share their mission statements, um, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was a fun meeting. Now, I remember seeing there are specific benefits of raw food versus the alternative. Can you tell us some of those? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the biggest things is the raw diets are going to be very high in protein. Right. Uh, simply all we put into our products are the, the muscle meat, the meaty organs, uh, bone, blood, uh, and that's about it. That's all that goes into the product. So that protein helps build strong muscles, which certainly helps reduce the risk of in, uh, injury. Right. Uh, certainly it adds more energy and endurance to the dog uh, coming from that protein. And it also uh, maintains weight. Uh, when I see a dog or a cat, I can usually tell pretty quickly uh, if they're not on a raw diet because they really? will be, our pets tend to be overweight. 
Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really the carbs that come in traditional pet food that cause yep. obesity in the dogs. I mean, that's yep. really, uh, the, you know, it's, it's not healthy for the, the pet where, uh, you know, they're getting optimal nutrition through this raw diet. There's actually less food intake because it's, it's all high in protein and fat and all things they're going to use, uh, which the nice thing about that is it, at, at the end of the day, you know, it ends up with, you end up with less stinky stools in the backyard to deal with. Sure, right. Uh, when you're feeding a high-carb, high-fiber type diet, you'll find a lot of, uh, you know, you'll have a lot more stool. But, you know, some of the other things you'll see visually when the pets, you'll see, you'll notice in the pet's coat and skin, they'll be healthy. They won't have skin allergies. They won't be all, all itchy. Uh, and then they also leads to really good oral health. Uh, you know, usually with it doesn't take long for some for a dog that's on uh, kibble because there's a lot of carbs in there to have yep. issues yep. with their teeth. Uh, so those are just a few of the the things that are, are are just top line benefits of raw. But at the end of the day, it really helps your pet live a a longer, healthier, uh, more vibrant life. Well, it, it's interesting. One of the things, and there's a few different follow-on questions, but comments. One of the things you taught me was that I never knew that 80% of dogs and 70% of cats are affected by periodontal disease, teeth and gums. You know, that that's a that's it's off the charts. That's crazy. You know, if you think about it, if we ate candy every day. True. Uh, True. Right? I mean, or potato you know, chips. Carb, and, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, right. if, you're, if you, it it's really comes down to the diet and, and the, uh, the opportunity to to chew on uh, raw bones is, is one of the things that we sell. And, and those raw bones, they're, all, they're not only a good source of nutrition, but they naturally clean the teeth. Right. Uh, other treats, you know, and I won't name them by brand, but, you know, biscuit-type treats, oh, yeah. uh, you, you know, don't help clean the teeth and actually uh, are going to provide, again, more carbs and sugar that, that are going to probably cause some harm. So I want to make sure I understand, what does constitute a raw diet? A raw diet is really, uh, you know, when we think of, of uh, you know, we human beings thrive yeah. on fresh food, right? And so right. do animals. I mean, cats and dogs are just natural carnivores. So right. when, I, when we look at a raw diet, it's just, it's essentially meat that's not been processed, processed not over-processed right. or cooked in any way so that all the natural active nutrients and enzymes and all that are still there to be utilized by that pet's uh, digestive system. Is producing and selling these raw, these raw products for pets, is it difficult? Meaning, is there a, a reason why these big players aren't doing it? Does it take more steps to produce or inspect or to assure product quality? Tell us a little bit more about that because I, you guys are really out there as missionaries paving this way um, it's got to be, you've got to have some challenges that the other big boys don't have. Right. I mean, you know, one of the challenges, I, I think that they've stayed away is there certainly is a, a cost issue. I mean, the, the cost of what they put into, uh, kibble, uh, is really inexpensive, uh, and the margins are very high, uh, doing a raw diet, uh, for us to bring in, we have to bring in all of our ingredients in the raw state and they either come in fresh if we can locate them locally like our our the beef that get harvested right here in green bay you know five miles from the facility we get that in fresh if it's not comes in fresh it comes in uh it's flash frozen at time of harvest and we get it in and and so there's the whole supply chain in production and then supply chain out that that the whole idea of having it frozen all the time certainly there's a cost aspect to that but at the end of the day uh the i believe so this is my personal opinion is that the the kibble companies that are out there uh didn't get into dog food and cat food because they wanted to to improve the health and wellness of correct it's it's, it's clearly just a for-profit business yeah absolutely and and that's you know it's all about the money as we talked earlier and if they can find a way to pump that stuff out and spend more of that money um, on their marketing and, and TV commercials and, and things like that. But um, um, what you're saying makes total sense. So, so let me talk. I mean, you, you introduced – well, we didn't really introduce. You've got a, um, your buddy um, Cooper, your dog, with you, and I've got Henry, my dog, with me here. So let's hypothetically, if Henry has never had a raw diet, is that something that – 
takes a time for him to adjust, or is it something that because it is a, he's a natural carnivore that really it, it, it's a it's a natural you know it's like us eating healthier going right into the salads and 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 the fresh vegetables and fresh meats um, is is it a, is it a similar adjustment period for um, for dogs and cats? Well, it, it, it is, and, and and it is like it would be for humans. It's very individual, so. Right. Uh, typically, we recommend that a a pet parent transition their their pet from their their kibble diet or their canned food diet over a period of time, where starting start to introduce the raw and, and kind of mix that and add more and more over time. But there, are, right. you know, some pets will will quickly, uh, you know, move right to raw without any issues. Uh, if they do have an issue. They tend to get a little bit of a loose stool as their right. digestive tract gets used to the new uh, enzyme and probiotics that they're getting from the food. Uh, but once they kind of get settled in, uh, you know, give them a day or two, and, and that should be uh, a, a non-issue. Uh, cats are really typically hard to transition because they're so used to – cats are picky. They can be very picky, and once right. they get used to a certain type of food – uh, it may take a little more determination on the pet parents' uh, part to work with them to transition. But once they transition and they see the benefits of of the health benefits visually, uh, I mean, the founder of our company, that's how he started, the original founder of this company, he started, he was a butcher, and he was feeding his German shepherds the leftover organs and sure. started to notice, one, how... Uh, how excited they were to have the opportunity to get those, so they'd sit and wait as he butchered an animal. Oh, yeah. And then he started to see the 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 teeth and the gums and the coat and and all the the energy and all these things. And that's really uh, and this was back in 1968 wow. where he saw the benefits of of a raw diet. You know, I've got to believe, and it's an interesting kind of question here, but a raw diet could could definitely help reduce an annual pet visit. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the benefit of, of a raw diet is, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, do you want to pay now or pay later? Right. And, uh, and, you know, if you choose the raw diet, yeah, you are going to pay a little bit more for the raw diet, but typically uh, your vet bills are going to be a lot less, and ultimately your pet's going to live a much happier, healthier uh, longer life, and, and that's a huge reward in itself. Without question, and I think for a lot of us out there that initially look at, and I love how you put that, pay me now or pay me later, because um, so often we, well, in fact, it's it's interesting. Our little business of the packaging world that we're in, and it's so interesting, and you, 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 you kind of talked about this earlier or alluded to this earlier, you know, pets are family and, um, and we want what's best for them just like we do with our kids. And I think part of the issue, and I, and I see you guys really going there, is you've got an education, you've got to educate people on the benefits of this raw diet. You've got to be able to make sure you get that word out because it's not, I mean, again, at the end of the day, if more people knew about the benefits of a raw diet for their dog and cat, um, you've already sold me on this, Kev. I mean, I'm already flipping. Uh, and I mean, those are those kind of things that, um, that really, you know, make a lot of us think twice and go, wait a minute. Um, if Henry's going to thrive on something like this, that he's a natural carnivore, which he is, you know what, why wouldn't we change? I mean, that's fantastic. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that attracted me to the company. You know, I, I happen to be an acquaintance of the owner for for a number of years, but when he started telling me about raw, and I've had pets all my life, I didn't I didn't know about raw. Raw is only about somewhere between one and two percent of the whole right. you know pet food market today, and that's how few people really understand it. But you know, one of the things I learned early on and was actually surprised that I'd never really thought about. Uh, uh, what a vet's focus is. And really, vets today focus on vaccines as preventative medicine, uh, which, you know, often cause more harm than good. And they also focus on what I'll call crisis management, and that's or treating disease. And the way we look at it, right, is that good health, preventative care starts with good nutrition, and uh, there isn't a there isn't a better diet. There isn't a more natural diet than what we provide in the Vital Essentials brand, unless they go out and catch the animal themselves. 
So let's stay with that for a little bit here. I mean, what are you guys doing at Vital Essentials to, to really spread that word? Because that's part of the challenge um, and fun for, for sales and marketing guys like yourself um, to get that word out because you've got a real solid benefit. Are you guys um, going to different trade shows? Are you marketing socially? How are you getting the word out? Well, we certainly uh, go to a lot of, well, no, I shouldn't say a lot. We go to, there's a couple of large trade shows. We actually just came back from uh, a trade Super show Zoo. called uh, Super Zoo. Yep, yep. It was last week in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've been to a lot of trade shows over, over my career. And, uh, you know, you can kind of argue uh, what is there value in being at a trade show. And, right. and I always look at it, it depends on, you know, what are your, stated objectives for the show and 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 does your execution uh, marry up with that and deliver and uh, for us at vital essentials we look at those trade shows as opportunities to get you know in front of our retailers uh, and distributor partners and and pet parents and really showcase uh, what's new and exciting at vital essentials and and what differentiate differentiates ourselves from the rest of the pack so that's and you kind find of those are they helpful for you at those trade shows? They really in the in the pet industry they are. There's a, a large yep. one that we just had called Super Zoo, and that one yep. uh, right would have been the first week of uh, August. And then there's another one called Global Pet Expo, right. and that's in Orlando, right around in the March time frame. So you know it's kind of, and that's on the east side of the country. So we tend to get the West Coast customers, uh, and there's some crossover, but you, we hit all the West with the, the Vegas show and all of the east part of the country in Orlando. And it really, right. uh, it gets us a chance to, to not only meet with a lot of different people, but it gives us a chance to stand out and really showcase uh, what we're doing and how different we really are from, from many of the players in this industry. Without question, and I and I, Kev, this has been great. I mean, I hope you'll come back and share with us what's new and exciting with Vital Essentials, and I hope that uh, um, you know we come back and share what's you know where you're headed and some things that's that, that are going on. I um, this has been a real treat for me and a thrill for me. So thank you for joining us. Well, it's been awesome. I appreciate uh, your time as well, and it's always good to uh, chat with with somebody with a similar background and and coming from the same place. Thanks, brother. I'd like to thank my producer, Jamie Berling, our executive producer, Winston Winnie Price, and you for listening. Remember, our show airs 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Wednesdays on the Voice America Family of Networks. Until next time, remember, your packaging is the voice of your brand. What is your packaging saying? Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.